You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Well, God cares for nature in spite of its abuse because of man's sin. And think about this. If he cares for nature, which are mostly inanimate objects, the trees, the grasses, the herbs, you know, all of what we were talking about. If he cares for nature, which are mostly inanimate objects, how much more, and this just follows true, How much more would you imagine that he cares for you? When a child draws a picture, they want it to be displayed in that special place of honor on the fridge. They care about what they created. Well, today, Pastor Mike invites you to look at how God feels about all that he's made. Just like that child, God treasures his creation. He delights in it, and with good reason. From the tiniest detail on a butterfly's wings to the enormity of the Grand Canyon, even broken by sin, it's still amazing. And if God cares this much about nature, how much more does he care about you? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 1 as he continues his message, First Five Days of Creation. All of what God has created is the source of great enjoyment for mankind. Remember, after he created, he said it was good, but it was for the benefit of all of mankind. And then we are instructed to subdue all of the earth. It's all ours to enjoy. So think about it in this way then. The object, and remember this, is not equal to its creator. All the praise and glory should be directed towards him. Now, pagan religions, ancient religions, got this completely turned around. Because rather than worshiping the God who created all things, they erred in worshiping creation. In the book of Romans, we're told exactly that by Paul the Apostle in chapter 1, in verses 21 through 25. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile or empty in their minds, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The result of this will come up here in just a moment. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They made these molten images, golden images, images of brass, and they began to bow down and worship them. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth 
of God for the lie, and notice, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And unfortunately, that's what pagan religions were engaged and involved in. So listen, we as Christians know why an object is there. Why is it there? So God may be glorified and man served. If you want to be exact, God is to be praised as the creator even before he is to be praised as our redeemer. And yes, of course, we're supposed to praise him for our redemption as well. But even before that, we are to praise him because he created all things. When we're gathered together around the throne, and it's depicted for us in the book of Revelation in chapter 4 and verse 11, there's an interesting chorus that the redeemed sing, and all of you will be a part of that chorus, praise the Lord. And in that day, we won't be like we're all off key. We're perfect pitch, man, you know. Um, we're looking forward to that. Well, at least I am because I, I can't even hold a note. But anyway, in the book of Revelation in chapter 4 and verse 11, this is the chorus that they sing. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why is that? Because you created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created. Francis Schaeffer, many of you are familiar with that name, the prolific Christian thinker and writer said, and I quote, Our praise to God is not, first of all, in the area of the study of salvation. If we are being fully scriptural, we do not praise him first because he saved us, but rather because he is there and has always been there. We praise him because he willed all other things, including man, into existence. And I absolutely agree with that statement. Now, that brings us to our fourth point this morning. And if you're taking notes, please write this down. God is standing behind all of creation, and man is a part of God's handiwork. Consider the human body, the capacities that we have to suggest that we came into existence out of some fortuitous, random, by chance, mistakes. It's just absolutely crazy. Just think about all of the capacities that are a part of our makeup. It's just a testimony to God behind creation. So man is a part of God's handiwork. But notice in verse 26 of chapter 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So we are part of God's handiwork. But let me give you another couple of cross-references for this. For example, in the book of Acts in chapter 17, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all breath and all things. Thanks, Patty. For in him we live and move and have our being. So also some of your own poets have said, we are also his offspring. That basically says it all. And then in verse 28 of that same uh, chapter, oh, we already read that, okay. So there you have it, okay. And uh, I just lost my, my place here. Okay, therefore, that's the point. We owe him our complete obedience and devotion. Listen, you sitting there in your seats, you wouldn't even be able to take your, your next breath, breathe air or oxygen into your lungs if it wasn't for God. He is the sustainer of all of creation 
including mankind. You know, one writer expressed it this way. After the world was created, man was placed in it as in a theater. It's sort of like the canvas. The world is sort of like the canvas. And uh, remember, I use the analogy, well, it's a biblical one, of God, the master potter. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, we are told there that we are God's workmanship. The word there in the Greek is poema. God has this wonderful capacity to make something out of nothing. In the beginning, God created. The word created is the Hebrew word bara. God created something out of nothing, unlike a carpenter who takes a piece of lumber, molds it, shapes it, cuts it, stains it, varnishes it, paints it, makes it into a piece of furniture. But God can create something out of nothing. He doesn't need any materials to work with. Aren't you glad? I think about myself and how God has taken hold of me and created who I am. It's still a work in process. I haven't arrived yet. But he's taken me. He didn't have a lot to work with, believe me. And he's now made me the pastor of this church. And I'm so thankful for that. I think all of us can relate to that example and illustration. So anyway, after the world was created, man was placed in it as in a theater. You're like God's canvas, if you will. He's molding you. He's shaping you with each stroke. And ultimately, you will be this priceless work and piece of art. And the end result will look exactly like the person of Jesus Christ, because the Bible tells us that we are being conformed into his image. That he, that is us, beholding above him and beneath the wonderful works of God might reverently adore their author. Moreover, all things were ordained for the use of man, that he, being under deeper obligation, might devote and dedicate himself entirely to obedience towards God. End quote. And I think he hit it right on the money. This is so true. But here's the problem. We've blown it. We've rebelled against God. We need help. But praise God, this is exactly where the Savior our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, comes in. And through him, we're given a new nature. The Bible tells us that, behold, all things have become new. And God has made us these new creatures, these new creations in Christ. New creations. And thus we are now enabled to worship and to serve God in the right way that is his way. Now that brings us to our fifth point, and that is, Creation was an orderly unfolding of the mind and the purposes of God. Think about it here as we went through this. It was a step-by-step progression over a period of six days. And on the seventh day, he rests. We've already covered five of them. But notice, it was a deliberate and orderly unfolding of God's purposes. It could have been done in one day. One hour, one minute, one second, but that's not the way that God chose to create the physical universe. Why is that? You see, God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He is a God of purpose and not chance. Thus, this is what we should take away from this, let me suggest we should be creatures of purpose as well. Building up, following the pattern of God in the Bible. 
bringing blessing wherever we go rather than destruction. Let me ask you this question. What do you leave as you move around, as you travel around, as you come into contact with people, what do you leave in your wake? I can't help but think of that cartoon character, the Tasmanian devil. He kind of like whirlwinds into a place and just you know, rips up everything. And I know people that are exactly like that. Wherever they go, it's just chaos. It's just a, a whirlwind. Wherever we go, we ought to follow in God's footsteps, building up, following the pattern of God in the Bible, particularly in creation, bringing blessing rather than destruction. Now that brings us to our sixth point. And I would like for us to consider God's assessment on what he had just created, all of what is contained within our text. His response after he created was, it was good. And he repeats it over and over again in this text. We find that word good in verse 10, in verse 12, in verse 18, in verse 21, and then again in verse 25. So understand that this pronouncement is not made on the basis of how creation serves me. Don't think of it like that. For example, God created the plant life. Let's for a moment focus on a tree and how that tree serves me. For example, it provides wood for fuel to heat my home. But remember, his assessment came before man was created. So think about that. Man hadn't even been created, and yet God pronounced upon all that he had created as being good. So therefore, the only conclusion that we can come to, if you follow along here, is that this pronouncement of being good was not made on the basis of how creation serves me, although it does, but that's not it. So what was God referring to when he said it was good? The object is good itself simply because God made it and he said it was good. It sort of follows through with who God is and his character and nature. God is good. And so like everything else in creation... It conforms to God's image, God's character, God's nature. And yes, I know that the world in which we live, everything contained within the world, has been marred by sin and is no longer pristine as it once was in the beginning. But we have a day to look forward to when Jesus comes back and restores the earth to his original game plan. What a day that's going to be when we are told that we're not bound any longer by time continuum, and we pass over into eternity, and God creates the new heavens and the new earth that will be as pristine as it was in the beginning. It's something that we can't even relate to, but something that we should be looking forward to. We look around, we see the whole world is more. All you got to do is walk out the door and see people lying in the gutter and out of their minds and you know, all of the things that are such a part, unfortunately, of our New York City scene, and we see the world marred by sin, right? And the toll and the effect uh, that sin has had on our world. It so deviates from what God had said in the beginning that it is good. But nevertheless, be thankful for the world that God has created and praise him for it. 
In fact, let's redeem it. Let's do whatever we can possibly do to redeem the world. Here's a cross-reference for you. And again, we can look forward to the full redemption of the world one day. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption or the effect of sin into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So this is something that we can look forward to in the future. In other words, delight in God's creation. There should be at least a greater appreciation by Christians than any other group of people for all of what God has created. The naturalist, all of the people that are just all about nature and creation and the Sierra Club and you know, all of those other uh, organizations that basically that's their religion for some anyway, but we should even have a greater appreciation than any of those other groups of people. Why? Because we see God behind creation, all of creation. I got to tell you something. I, was, I came down on the West Side Highway across the George Washington Bridge, came up 34th Street and turned where, you know, you come up 38th and then make a right and come back up on 37th and then park on our street. And uh, at a red light, there happened to be some trees nearby which is a little unusual for New York City. But there was a bunch of these little sparrows in the trees. And it was a prolonged light. It seemed to be pretty prolonged. And so I just kind of tripped off. I rolled down my window, and I was just watching these little sparrows jumping from limb to limb, and they were eating and flying around and seemed to be having a really awfully good time. Put God behind those creatures. You just have a greater appreciation. The colors and you know, uh, the capacities to be able to fly, you know, kind of boggles your mind. Demonstrate a responsibility towards nature, seeking to elevate it to its fullest potential, seeking to keep it, in fact, as God had initially created it. And then finally, after contemplating nature and its value, we should turn once again to the God who made it and sustains it moment by moment, and should, through that, learn to trust him. You say, what do I mean by that? Well, God cares for nature in spite of its abuse because of man's sin. And think about this. If he cares for nature, which are mostly inanimate objects, the trees, the grasses, the herbs, you know, all of what we were talking about, if he cares for nature which are mostly inanimate objects, how much more, and this just follows true, how much more would you imagine that he cares for you? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 26 and then verse 30. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither, and that's what I was doing, by the way, this morning, (laughs) for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. I don't know if it was Pastor Chuck Smith or Greg Laurie who always used to say this, You're never going to see a bird hanging out on a telephone wire, as we so often do, dressed in coveralls with a pitchfork in his hand. The idea that he's like working the fields and planting and harvesting. and No, he's basically hanging on that phone line with his mouth open, and then God ordains an insect to fly into that mouth. God provides for those little ones. I can't help but think about that every time I read that verse of Scripture. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, 
your, your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not of more value than they? And then in verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Listen, gang, you can trust God to care for you. You're a part of his creation, and you mean so much more to him. But here's the question that you got to ask yourself. Have you put your trust in him? And thus, experience his care for you. Remember, you've heard me say this many times before. God is not under any obligation to any person who hasn't given their lives to him. Someone, an unbeliever, this is usually the argument that they would present. If God is such a good God, if God exists, why has he allowed this, that, and the other thing to happen to me or one of my friends or a loved one? And then I'll always come back and ask this question. Well, have you given your life to Christ? No. Well, I know I, I haven't. Well, then what makes you think that God is under any obligation to sustain your life or to provide for you? But isn't that a part of our conversion experience? Isn't that where we all begin with offering him our lives, with confessing our sin and asking him to come and take control, the reins of our lives, the direction of our lives? Isn't that true? And so we have to ask ourselves that question, have you made that decision for Christ? And thus experience his care for you. It's just as simple as coming to Jesus, coming to him and making that choice. In the final verse, in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, in verse 17, actually it's not the last verse, it's the last verse on my page anyway, but, <laughs> but I think it's very appropriate, the last book, the last chapter at least, some of the final exhortations of the entire Bible, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. And this is God speaking. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take the waters of life freely. You know what I love about the invitations of God? They're universal. They're not for some particular class or category of people, some goody two-shoes, some Henry Miltoast kind of a person or whatever. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As many as believe, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God. They're all universal, open and available to all. But the question remains and lies with you. Are you going to come? Will you choose to come? Will you invite Christ to come into your life that you might experience all of what we've been talking about? Thus experience true life and the benefit of knowing God and walking with Him. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long when you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember, the ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. My heart not be troubled.